Thank you, Jordan. And uh, if everyone would turn to Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 18, the providence of God is always very fascinating to me and exciting. Uh, when Kempton this morning said he'd be preaching from Acts 19, uh, and I've been preparing this week from Acts 18, it just, you just can never direct the things that the Lord Himself directs. And, uh, so it's exciting to be here, and we do bring greetings from Maryville, Tennessee, and if you are born there, it's Merville. If you have lived there for a while, it's Maryville, and if you are from here or anywhere else in the world, it is Maryville. So I'm kind of a transplant. My wife and I have been there for 20, almost 20 years, and we love it. Uh, we, our church is very much like-minded and like your church here. It looks a lot like this church, and so we felt very comfortable coming in this morning and just grateful to be here. We Again, as Jordan mentioned, we had the opportunity to have him last year speak at a conference, and he was just a, a delight and a joy to our con- congregation, and uh, we hope maybe one day in the future to maybe have that happen again. My wife and I uh, are lead the children at our church, and so we love children's ministry. It was a joy to also see the catechism up front here this morning. Uh, we believe strongly in catechism, uh, and that has been proven out from the time of the early church all the way to today. Churches who neglect catechism are doing a disservice to their children, and uh, it, is just, it was just a joy to, to see your guys, you guys teaching the children catechism. We have 135 questions that we teach our kids every few years, and uh, to be able to see them go through that and to to at least have that here until the Holy Spirit regenerates their heart. Uh, or if they are truly believers, then they have such a platform to already build on. I wish that I would have had that when I was a child. Uh, so we're going to read from Acts 18. Acts 18, 24 through 28. And I want to look at the really just what's really not the primary point of the text. I want to, I want to look at the life of Aquila and Priscilla. How many of you in here are not pastors and do not plan on or do not plan on being pastors even when you grow up? Raise your hand. Alright, so that's the majority of you, right? So this is technically for you. Because the majority of us are not going to be pastors. We're going to be laymen, we're going to be laywomen in the church. And and without spiritually mature laymen and without spiritually mature laywomen, without godly couples, the church is going to suffer, it's going to be unhealthy. And then the gospel witness is going to be diminished. And it affects, and then of course it doesn't bring ultimate glory to Christ. And so tonight what we'd like to do in the brief time that we have is just to look at a couple things from this passage. Aquila and Priscilla only mentioned six times in the Bible. And they're never the focal point of any of the text. Uh, but they're never mentioned apart either. They're always together. They're serving together. And it's a great joy if you're in here and you have a spouse that you're able to serve Christ with. But even if you're not married yet, or you, you are not married, uh, you're not married, or you're, you're younger, the same principles apply. And so I hope you'll be encouraged here this evening. Well, let me read, and then I'll pray, and we'll get started. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. 
He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he had finished, when he had wished to cross Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you bless this time. I pray that we would be encouraged, uh, even as we look at this portrait of a godly couple uh, in your word, this pivotal point in uh, church history, uh, that we would learn much, that we would emulate how they lived, that we would desire to glorify you, uh, that we would desire to uh, be effective in every way possible uh, so that we can bring you greatest glory. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this church. And I do pray that you continue to bless it here in Memphis. And uh, we do pray for Lord, our church back home. And we're thankful for Lord, our church body as well. And Lord, we serve the same Christ. And Lord, that just, uh, is just a wonderful thing. And I pray that you would continue to grow both congregations in the true knowledge of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Charles Spurgeon once said that much has been done of late to promote the production of dwarfish Christians. Poor, sickly believers turn the church into a hospital rather than an army. Oh, to have a church built up with a deep godliness of people who know the Lord in their very hearts and will seek to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. For the church to be an army, true biblical maturity is necessary for Christ to be glorified, the church to be healthy, so that the gospel can make maximum impact. uh, In Philippians 1, Paul is writing to the Philippian church. It is a very strong doctrinal church. It's it's the church that meant a lot to Paul, that has served with him faithfully for years in promoting the gospel of Christ. But one of his prayers for the Philippian church was that they would bring forth great spiritual maturity, that they would be able to approve what was excellent and be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Because spiritual maturity brings glory to Christ. And and for a church to be healthy and for the gospel to go forward, for this community to see Grace Church Memphis uh, as a church that brings that glory to Christ, it needs to be a mature body of believers. And so as we look at our passage here tonight, what I'd like to do is just look at a few of the things. There are several more we're not going to have the time to get to, but at least a few of the things that made Aquila and Priscilla really a, an example to us here tonight of what it means to be a spiritually mature couple and the impact that they made in the life of the early church. Remember the book of Acts, it's not just the Acts, it's the Acts of the Apostles. And the book is primarily about what the Apostles were doing Jesus had prayed specifically for those in John 17 who would believe through the Apostles' Word. Well, now the Apostles' Word, of course, God's Word through the Apostles is going forth. And it's a book of power and it's a book of motion. And yet in the middle of this book, we have this couple here who we see no doing, they're not doing any signs or wonders. They're not doing anything that would be great in the eyes of the world or even what we would say, wow, look at what they're doing for Christ in one sense. 
Look at, you know, the, the specific things, the gifts they have. They did very ordinary things that they had been taught to do, and it brought great glory to Christ. Now, ordinary for the believer. So that's what I want to look at. And um, again, I pray that it just brings some encouragement. We've already experienced some of these things from you guys since we've been here. And so I know that you guys practice a lot of this already. So uh, I, I hope that Grace Church Memphis is a great army in this community. And uh, that's what we are praying for. Well, our text takes place really at the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. And uh, Apollos was from Alexandria. Alexandria was really a center of learning and and Philo, of course, was from there, the, the Jewish philosopher. And he grew up, Apollos, as an intellectual. He was a brilliant man. And so he was a, a hurricane force. I mentioned that, that the book of Acts is really a, a book of motion. The gospel is going forth. And we see it spreading from, from city to city, from Jerusalem to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And yet in the middle of this book of motion and power, we have this figure, Apollos, who exemplifies all that's going on. And so he's a big personality. And our text tells us several things about him. First, he's an eloquent man. He's eloquent. He has a silver tongue. It reminds me of the great evangelist George Whitfield. I remember George Whitfield who preached in England. They came over to the colonies and uh, really was a great preacher during the Great Awakening. And uh, it was said of him that he was a great orator. Uh, and Sarah Edwards, the wife of Jonathan Edwards, uh, said he is a born orator. You have already heard of his deep-toned and yet clear and melodious voice. Oh, it is perfect music to listen to. And the actor David Garrick once said that he could move men to tears or make them tremble simply by the way he pronounced the word Mesopotamia. Well, you can see the power behind words, right? It's somebody that knows how to use those words. And, and this, is, this reminds me a lot of what Apollos was doing. He was that born orator. He could move the crowds just by his words. And thankfully, his words for what he knew were accurate. Because it goes on to say that he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And he did this with a fervent, he was fervent in spirit. He was warm-hearted about it. He was, there was an enthusiasm by which he taught these things. And so he was a great force. So when you look at this man, you go, wow, everything that the church needed, everything that was beneficial to the church, obviously under the hand of God, he was. And yet, we have one thing here that says about him, that was deficient in what he was teaching. Because it says that though he taught things accurately concerning Jesus, he only knew about the baptism of John. There are two possibilities of what this might mean. Maybe he had heard John speak, he knew that, that one was to come, and what that would look like, and so he was teaching exactly what the Messiah would look like, and yet, he didn't really know that Christ himself was the Messiah. That's a possibility, and, and many commentators believe that that is what is going on here. But there's another possibility, and it's one that I would think uh, is actually what's going on, because we get more of the story in the next chapter, 
But that is that he does know that Jesus is the Messiah. He heard John say, maybe, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, sins of the world. But he doesn't really know the extent of the doctrine of Jesus, the, the things that, that are essential and that we need to know concerning the atonement, concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit, concerning uh, the, the resurrection of Christ and what it means to live for Christ. And, and there's so much here that maybe he didn't know. Remember, we're in a time of transition here. That the knowledge of the gospel is spreading from city to city. Each city, as we know from the next chapter, there's some who have believed in Jesus, and yet they didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And so we know that knowledge in, in this, during this time is it's spreading. And so not everybody had the full knowledge of Christ, and, and the full knowledge, if you will, of the gospel. I think that's what's going on here personally. I think that Apollos has more to learn. He has. He believes that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, but there's something deficient here. And so as we come, to the, we come here and we see what's going on, we see that he's speaking boldly in the synagogue. He's, he does this. He goes from place to place. And he's refuting the Jews where he goes. And yet, Aquila and Priscilla are sitting in they did this, and most likely with Paul, they had Paul living in their home for 18 months, most likely went with him to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and then on the Lord's Day went to, uh, to gather with the church. But they seemed to be faithful in doing this, and as they were listening to what Paul was saying, they might have been moved by what he was saying, but they recognized something is a little bit deficient in what's being said. And so... In my mind, as I think through this passage, I always go, what if Paul would have been there? Because Paul now had gone on. He had other things to do. Or what if Peter had been there? I, I, these two titans of the faith. Apollos is going to be this, this great man in the church. Apollos, Peter, Paul, and Jesus uh, are the, one, the factions that are split there in the church of Corinth. So Apollos is going to have great influence in the church. And so I wonder, you know, what would happen if, if it would have been Paul that was there? You know, how would he have taken him aside? What would he have done? Uh, we know how he, did, how he uh, took Peter aside. And I don't know if he would have done with Apollos or not. But what's even more exciting to me is that here is a godly couple that had grown in the knowledge of Christ and was ready to be used for the gospel's sake. And that's exciting. So what do they do? The text says... That as he did this, afterwards, that Aquila and Priscilla, in verse 26, said they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so, that's pretty impressive. A tent, tent maker, both of them were tent makers, they worked in the home, they, they worked together, and yet their knowledge in probably 18 months, although they might have been believers uh, beforehand, they were kicked out of Rome by... Claudius, who had expelled all the Jews probably for a, a dispute that was going on about Christ himself. So Claudius just sit, kicked them all out. And uh, they came here uh, to, they came to, uh, they, they were with Paul in Corinth and then they would come to Ephesus with him. So most likely they did most of their growing in that time as Paul's teaching them. And yet they're already mature enough in the gospel and in these things to be ready to confront some deficient theology. 
And so it says that they took him aside and explained the way more accurately. 1 Corinthians 13 says, speaking of those who would not be able to do this and those that are spiritually immature, he says, I, I brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready to receive it, and you are not now ready. Well, this was not a Paul, uh, this was not Aquila and Priscilla. They were ready, and they had received it, and they were able to then teach it and, and to help those uh, who were not mature in some areas. Hebrews 5.12 says essentially the same thing, the same thing. For this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. But again, Aquila and Priscilla, they, they had certainly desired the milk of the word, but they had grown past that. They were mature believers. And now they were skilled in the word of righteousness. And again, I think it's encouraging that this doesn't necessarily take 20 years. Now, we will continue to grow in our skill of accurately handling God's word as long as we live. That ought to be the case. But... In time, God works in time. He works in the present. And we need to be mature in the present. And the Lord brings along uh, exactly what he needs to. And and we have the opportunity then to be blessed and to be used by the Lord. Well, this maturity, it says that they, they were able to explain the word more accurately. Accuracy brings glory to Christ. Did you know that? We're not here to, to fight doctrine. You know, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. Wherever, whoever's right and every little point, that's what brings glory to Christ. And yet, to teach the truths about Christ and to be accurate about Christ, what does it do? It shows who Christ really is. And to teach, Christ, teach things about Christ that are not true or deficient does not bring greatest glory to Christ. And so accuracy is something that we need to strive for when we teach God's Word. And as hearers... You need to hear accurately. That's something again, and and that's what Aquila and Priscilla had done. They had heard the the accurate teaching of God's word, but they then took that and they were able to teach accurately the things concerning Jesus. And in a time like this, at the beginning of the church, how critical this was. No apostles there, but Aquila and Priscilla were there and they were able to handle this. That's a blessing. But just remember the accuracy about Christ brings him glory. If we were to go back to the Nicene Creed, you remember the the whole battle about the Nicene Creed, right? And one word they were arguing over. And that one word would have meant everything. It would have either made Jesus like God, a little bit less than God, or it would have made him the same nature as God. In fact, it really was one vow. And yet, that fight over the accuracy of who Christ is... What did it do? It brought great glory to Christ. And how easy it would have been to just let it go. To just say, you know what? It's close. We're close. And it would have destroyed the church. And so accuracy is important. And here we have a couple that were taught, and then they were able to explain accurately the Scriptures. And so if we want to bring greatest glory to Christ, we need to be accurate. What time do you normally finish up here, Jordan? I want to make sure. 6.30. Okay. You know, there's a time in my own life where I 
I grew up in a, a, an independent Baptist church, and I was thankful for a lot of what I was taught. But it was deficient. And I remember there were, there were things about my own salvation. I could never get assurance of salvation. I wrestled with what it meant to be a true believer. And I would have wished if anyone could have come up to me and explained what was deficient and what I was think, believing. Now, that was what was being taught from the pulpit in, in many cases. But oh, how I would have wished earlier on if somebody could have explained the way of Jesus more accurately. And in God's providence, uh, in certain men uh, that we would all hold in high regard, I got a hold of some of their teaching, and the Lord used it in that way. But what if there would have been men and women in the local church that would have been able to have done that way earlier? I, I rest in God's sovereignty there, but the fact is, is the church needs to be, have men and women that can do just that. We, we teach children every week, and we know they have deep questions. They lay in bed at night, they have deep questions. And if we can't explain to our children the way of Jesus accurately, then we leave them exposed. And they don't put their confidence in the Lord, as Psalm 78 says. So it's important. Accuracy brings glory to Christ. That is, getting, being careful and exact to get the details right. And is this not what Paul told Timothy? Be careful. Present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. By the way, I was, raised, I, I was raised on King James and all these things I've learned are in the King James. If I have a hybrid verses here, you're going to wonder what translations they are, uh, what version it is. It might be a mix between ESV and King James. So. But not only did they know these things, not only did they have those, the accuracy there, but they were willing to confront and to address what was lacking. That maturity builds a boldness because they love Christ and they love souls and they want to see Christ most glorified. And so they were willing to approach this figure, this monumental figure, and teach him the way more accurately. We've had certain men in our church that have big personalities. I mean, they're, they're just, we come in, I, I sit there and they're, they're intimidating. And we love them. They teach the truth wonderfully. They're not deficient in their theology. But I do wonder sometimes what it would like to you know, be listening to one of their messages and, and approach them afterwards and say, you know, you got it wrong here. And, and I know that there are people that do that, and that's, that's amazing. But that, that would be intimidating. But we have a couple here that they were able to do that. And they did it, as we'll see, in kindness and, and with respect. So again, this first, just this, this spiritual maturity here, it's going to grow. Peter, in, in 2 Peter, he's getting ready to die. What's his, his passionate plea? Grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an intellectual growth. That is, we keep growing about the truths about Christ. But it's also an experiential growth. It's intellectual, but you can't have the experiential without the intellectual. And we must not fall from our steadfastness. One of the neat things about Aquila and Priscilla is 16, 17 years in, when Paul's getting ready to be beheaded, they're still faithful. And it becomes very easy to, to get discouraged, right? And to fall away, if you will, in your zeal, in our zeal. But that was not them. So we see their spiritual maturity first. Next, we see their gracious hospitality. Gracious hospitality. Now, I'm not a big fan of the NIV, but they actually... It's very helpful in this particular passage to see what went on. If you're thinking here that Apollos 
preached in the synagogue, and as he was coming down off, you know, from, from teaching, Aquila and Priscilla met him there, and they're meeting over in the corner of the synagogue, and they're kind of discussing this, and then Aquila and Priscilla head home. That's not what went on here. Uh, in fact, the NIV will say that they didn't just take him aside, but they received him into their home. They took, them, took him to their home. And then, in that gracious hospitality, they began to explain the way of Christ more accurately. They showed gracious hospitality. They were willing to use their resources for Christ. And this is going to be the pattern of their whole life. It's already showing up and letting Paul live with them for 18 months. But it shows up in many other ways as well. They didn't correct him condescendingly. No, instead, they, with hospitality, hospitality brought him in. They, weren't, they didn't have an act, a theological axe to grind. That wasn't what was going on here. Um, no. But it was their, this was the pattern of their lives. Hospitality was essential in the early church to worship and break bread. In fact, the home became the center of evangelism in the early church. Without church buildings, without uh, you know, the opportunity to worship publicly in many places, it was in the home. And so hospitality was essential. And gracious hospitality was essential. There are many who, are, who open up their homes for things, and then you wish that they had never opened up their home. Remember, hospitality was so important that elders had to be hospitable if he was even going to be thought of as being an elder. And widows, if they were going to be supported by the church, would also have to be known for their hospitality. I remember once, uh, Rachel and I were uh, visiting a a church of a a well-known speaker and pastor and very busy man. Somebody that we already looked up to, had a great, you know, we, we just thought very highly of, and he invited us into our, to his home. They made a meal for us. They took time out of his busy schedule. And, and that just added weight to everything that we would listen to when we heard him preach. It's a blessing. If you go to Charleston, have you ever been to Charleston, South Carolina? It's one of our favorite cities. We love Charleston. Now, if you go to Charleston, you will notice that there are pineapples pineapple statues, pineapple door knockers. You go throughout Charleston and pineapples are everywhere, but that's because the pineapple was a symbol of hospitality. And when merchants would go uh, exploring and they would come back, they would bring back the pineapple, which was considered a very rare and expensive uh, delicacy. And the merchant, if he would, when he would come home, he would take that pineapple and spear it into the ground out in front of his house. And that would meant that their home's open. I'm home. Everybody's welcome to come and, and use our house. And and then, of course, if they were able to serve a pineapple, it, it just became a symbol of you're going above and beyond. And, and so we were struck by that as we went into Charleston and, and saw that. Here was, at least at one time, this symbol of hospitality throughout the city. But for the church, and for the gospel in particular, hospitality is essential. It indicates that you have a love for souls, you have a love for Christ, and you want to use those resources for His glory. It's really a recognition that those resources are for that very purpose. My house, our cars, our whatever else we have, our time, is to be used for the Lord and for His glory first and foremost. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Keep loving one another earnestly. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
And so there are practical helps, many things that, that each of us can do, even if we think, man, I'm not in a position right now to extend hospitality. How do I extend hospitality if I don't even own my own house? Or if I still live in my parents' house? Or if, I, you know, if my schedule does not allow me to do that? There are ways to do that. And there are ways to be practical about that. And uh, there, you know, I'd be happy to talk about those after, but there, there's several good books out there, resources to help in how to be hospitable regardless of what phase of life you're in. But it's essential, and, and we see this with, with Aquila and Priscilla. We see them taking Paul in. We see them taking Apollos in to his house. They use their home for two different churches, at least two different churches. And so their whole life is centered around the church there. We have to possibly restructure our lives to show hospitality if we are too busy. So they take him into their home. They, they, they show Apollos love. But next there's ministerial flexibility. Ministerial flexibility. If we were to carry on here and we were to follow Aquila and Priscilla's life, we'll see them up and moving if they need to move. We see them using their home when they need to, which certainly creates a, a flexibility, a pliability in one's whole life. They appear to be willing to do whatever it takes for the gospel. Again, they will sail with Paul. You know, they, they will bring Apollos in. I don't know if they had planned to already do that. I don't know the extent of that, but that certainly would have rearranged their whole evening and possibly the next few days. So they're flexible. And, and this flexibility, if we're going to be in ministry of any sort, is critical. There's lots of people who are willing to serve in one particular area because they're comfortable in that particular area. And they may have a gift in that. And even in our church, we, we evaluate often. You know, these particular people have a great gift here and they serve well here. And we have men and women who, you know, they, they're willing to be evaluated and it might not be a particular place for them where that's their strongest point. But the reality is, is we're going to be called on in a variety of ways to be flexible. And if we're not, we're going to find that we're going to be limited in our scope of what we can do for the church. In fact, if you were to go back and you, you began counting what Aquila and Priscilla, what they were willing to do, it enabled Paul, it enabled Apollos, it enabled several others, churches, whole churches, to use their gifts and even be more effective as that went out. And so just as simple, simple things, the impact is great. They were, they were flexible in ministry. That is uh, flexibility and this willingness to, to serve in a variety of ways sometimes exposes our weaknesses. And that makes it difficult sometimes to be flexible in ministry. Uh, I know that there are certain things that I feel much more comfortable doing and I actually look better uh, when I'm doing those things. And then I get tasked with something else and uh, I have to think through, I know I'm not, it's not going to be my strong point. And I'm going to be, I'm, it's, I personally am not going to look real good doing this. Uh, and I have to, there's a humility there. It takes humility to be flexible in ministry because you may not look your best. Uh, and especially in smaller churches when several have to do a variety of things, uh, there, that's what happens. And yet, man, it enhances everyone else. And it, it, again, it, it propels the gospel. It really does. 
In order to do that, in order to be flexible, there's two things. I already mentioned one, that there has to be a, a humility, but you also have to have the right priorities. We're, we live in a day and age today where I can fill up every single minute of my day, every day, and I still have a thousand things that I would like to be doing, which really give, it makes me have to choose what I'm going to spend my time doing. If I'm not flexible with my time, if I'm not flexible with my with my life, if I don't have the right priorities, I'm never going to be as effective and be used by the Lord in what I could be. I mean, by the time you, you factor in all of our children's activities and, and we factor in our work and we factor in, you know, everything else that's going on in all of our lives, it can be very difficult to find time to, to allow our lives to be flexible. In other words, if we were to show up at at, and hear Apollos preach, and we had all these things going on in our life, it, it really hampers what we're able to do for the gospel. And so, just because we can do something, doesn't mean it's always right to fill up our schedule and do that. Um, and so, just be careful there. Uh, be careful to not overbook your schedule so you're unable to minister, to hear the word. It's interesting that if you were to go back to Mary and Martha, the night that Martha was distracted, the, the wording there actually indicates that she really wanted to sit at the feet of Christ, but she had so arranged her evening that she was unable to do it. Other things had become more important, and yes, they were important things, but those things distracted her. She was distracted. She was, she was pulled away from what was most important because she hadn't really structured her life well, and she didn't prioritize Christ himself, and it became a hindrance to her, even though she was serving. So they were flexible. Couple, just a couple more things here I just want to mention as we close. Not only uh, were they flexible in ministry, but they were willing to endure hardship for the sake of the gospel. Paul, in, as he's writing to the Romans, uh, and let, let's turn there, Romans 16. Anytime Paul's in jail, he's thinking often of those who he serves with, by the way. They bring great encouragement um, to him. And we see in Romans 16 that, again, this is another place where Priscilla and Aquila's name is brought up. And we see, again, the, the, just the, the blessing that they were to Paul. But he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Look at this couple. They have so influenced so many different people because they were faithful to use their life for the glory of Christ. They had become spiritually mature. They had prioritized correctly. And Christ was glorified, which is the true desire of every believer. And the churches were strengthened and it brought encouragement and refreshing to not only Paul, but to multiple churches uh, throughout the area. Incredible. Again, it's something that we, as you think about your own life, you guys have taken some risks in one sense. Of course, we always look at risks. They're, they're not really risks, right? But, but at least from our standpoint, we look at it and we go, mm, that's a risk. 
Maybe you're in college, you're working at a, at a particular establishment, and you have unbelievers. And as we're living in a day and age now where people are being very outspoken and bold about what they believe and they, what they believe everybody else should believe, might. it takes a little sacrifice there. But also, you know, what about for the edification of the church? Aquila and Priscilla didn't take risks for their own good. They took it for the good of the church. The risks that they took were for the church. Because Christ loves, loves the church, gave himself for the church, and for the believer, it's the great, believer's greatest joy for the edification of the church to take those risks. We're not lone wolves out there, uh, not lone wolves, that's, but we're not lone saints out there proclaiming the gospel. Our desire is that the church be edified. So if you have that opportunity, sharing the gospel, passing out tracts, taking a stand in college, working in a church, all these things, there's a variety of, of different things. But we know one thing, that, that they took great risks, even willing to die if need be, so that Paul, the ministry of Paul, would carry on. Well, last, let me just mention that they remain steadfast until the very end. I, I mentioned this, but I, I really think this is critical. Um, I see a lot of senior saints just kind of towards the end of their life, uh, not be very active in, in the ministry. Um, I see many who are middle-aged not be very active in the ministry. And yet if you go back at one point in their life, they were very active. They loved the Lord. But this is kind of the pattern, if you look throughout the New Testament, of what was happening in several churches. We see this in he- the letter of the Hebrews. Uh, we see this in Philippians. We see this in several books where it becomes easy over time to begin to just passively, if you want to say worship Christ, worship Christ. But, but that's not really what we're called to do. To the very end, we're called to remain steadfast, be unmovable, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's always such a blessing, by the way, to see our senior saints finish well. It's such an example uh, that they did, that they were able to finish well. It's exciting to me, and I think it's an encouragement that you never hear Aquila and Priscilla's name called out like Demas, like Diotrephes, like Euodia and Syntyche. All of these either turned their back on the church, or they got discouraged, or the world once again took preeminence in their life, or they got into a relational difficulty. And so it hampered their very witness for Christ and appears they were unable to work that out and it completely took them out of the race. You don't hear that from Aquila and Priscilla. And yet, it's so easy for these things to happen. And so I, I just want to take a look at this couple uh, because there, there's so many more things that we can, we can see. Again, they're not a primary piece in Scripture. They're not you know, one of the bright stars, if you will. And yet, we see the impact I wrote down just a few things here, the impact that they had on the church. And just some of these things. Number one, Apollos, in their willingness to approach Apollos with the truth of the gospel, he now understands the gospel himself and all that that encompasses. He will then immediately help fellow believers. If you go back, he's now refuting the Jews again, but now he's able to really teach them the truths of Christ. So there's an immediate help there. He will powerfully refute the Jews. He will go on again in, in great influence in the early church, a good influence. 
and their willingness to use their resources, they will benefit, they themselves will benefit from having Paul in their house. They are strong because they put themselves near somebody else who is strong. Again, that's been something that, that Rachel and I in our own life have, have sought to do, is put ourselves around people who we believe are more godly than ourselves, and I want to hang around those people because they teach me to be more godly. Well, that's what happened here with Aquila and Priscilla. They will impact Apollos in turn. They will give worshipers in the early church a place to worship. Again, that brings glory to Christ. Every time we gather together on the Lord's Day brings great glory to Christ. And here they were able to do that over and over and over again. They were able to encourage other churches. They gave Paul other opportunities by spiritual maturity in us gives the leaders of the church other opportunities to be more effective. It exponentially spreads the gospel and makes us more effective. Effective. They uh, allowed Paul to be able to go from city to city proclaiming the gospel. You know, some of the reasons that we have the books of the Bible here tonight that we study and love is because Aquila and Priscilla were willing to take on, uh, be effective in ministry, be, have that spiritual maturity, which enabled Paul then to go forward and to be more effective in what he was doing. And out of that came letters uh, that we may never have today. And so, and, and then just a good reputation, a godly reputation. Um, to have that godly re- reputation, I, to see Christ's reputation, to see His name exalted, that ought to thrill our heart more than anything else. So I just want to close by saying, you know, we need to imitate their example. We also live in a pivotal time in the history of the church. What we don't need necessarily are more neat apps that are able to do things, although, great, those things are helpful in in their own way. We don't need, with all the technology we we have, that, that should not take the place of men and women, young men and women, growing in spiritual maturity so, because that is going to be the greatest witness for Christ Himself. And so, we need spiritually mature believers in the church so that Christ would be glorified, the church would be edified, and sinners would then see what it really means to be saved from sin and hear and understand the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let me pray. Heavenly Father, again, I I just am so encouraged to see men and women who uh, know the Word of God. Lord, even in this day and age where we have a variety of different attacks on the Gospel, where there's so many different things that we can get caught up in, those who claim to know Jesus but, but deny Him in their works, We must be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And Lord, I pray that we would regard Christ as holy and that we would in gentleness and respect be able to give a defense of the hope that lies within us. And I pray that this church and in our church, that every believer would, would be filled with the fruit of righteousness so that when you return... Lord, that You would be glorified in these things. Lord, You walk in the midst of Your churches. You see 
and you care about what goes on. You inspect the fruit as a master gardener. I pray that this church would abound with such fruit. I pray that our church would as well, that on the day that you return, that we would be filled with that fruit. I just thank you for uh, this couple in the life of the early church when all these things were going on or the work that you were doing through your apostles primarily and, and those connected to the apostles. Yet we have this example of a faithful, godly couple and the impact that that had for the, the sake of the gospel. I pray that our churches would be filled with Aquila and Priscilla's. And I just pray again that the motivation of our hearts would be to, to see you glorified as we grow in the true knowledge of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. this church and how you definitely played the role of Aquila and Priscilla for me. Uh, in fact, I used to affectionately refer to Paul and Pat Nave as Aquila and Priscilla uh, when the 10 years they were with us and they helped me so much. So many of you have done that with me and with, with others and making disciples. Uh, but as we close, I'll share a, a line from today's elders meeting. And uh, it's kind of morbid, but it's meant for encouragement. So uh, it's the way, I, the way my brain works and uh, the way I was impacted. But I think, it's, I think it's an accurate statement. I don't think it's an overstatement. And I also think it's a testament to the kind of thing Ron was showing us from uh, the example of Aquila and Priscilla. And the statement was basically something like this. Matt Nash called the entire elders meeting. And Hunter said something like, not a quote, if we all, meaning the elders, drop dead tomorrow, well, that's the morbid part, he said, Grace Church would be just fine. Because you guys would just pray and appoint uh, pastors and elders and people who would faithfully take you down the pathway of God's Word. But the fact that there are so many among us that you guys would be just fine. Um, and I'm thankful I'm here. Don't pray on my pray for my demise. <laughs> I'm, I'm so encouraged by that because just the ministry of mature saints having an impact for the sake of, as we heard, uh, the spread of the gospel of Christ near and far. You just can't overestimate that. I was thinking when you were talking of Lois and Eunice, you know, a mom and a grandmother, pouring into Timothy. Man, what an impact for the gospel. Aquila and Priscilla pouring into Apollos, who many think is the guy whose fame in the gospel had spread among the churches in the book of Corinthians. Just what a huge impact. So I praise God for the godly men and women in this church and the ways you're making disciples. And it has a cumulative effect, doesn't it?